Celtic were coming. We'd come very close to getting to a European final the year before when we were uh, cheated at Anfield um, when Bobby Lennox ran from inside his own half to score the goal that would have taken us to the final which would have been at Hamden, funnily enough, against Borussia Dortmund. But it would serve notice that we were a force to be reckoned with and now we had the manager who was the glue for the ingredients that were already there. Hi Paul, it's Naz here uh, talking about the Lisbon lines. There's a lot being said uh, many, many times uh, by people a lot more knowledgeable than myself. But uh, along with so much other history, for myself, a lot of it has been self-learned through various Celtic resources and Tim's online. Uh, so much so that in uh, my early teens, uh, already aware of us being champions of Europe in 67, been absolutely gobsmacked learning that Celtic were the first British club to win the European Cup when it was uh, when it was a question, rather, in the evening times. Now, they used to print uh, five sports football questions, thinking this is about the early 80s, quite possibly a Saturday edition as I remember being sat in my dad's shop on the Gallowgate. Now, this is back to a time when football was played on Saturdays at 3pm, and it would, uh, it's one of those memories that you have etched into your mind that you can still picture it clearly um, whenever you think back. Uh, talk about European Cups and being gobsmacked uh, years later, I was equally gobsmacked when learning after watching a piece of... Uh, a piece on Eurofinals, that is, uh, which has snippets of uh, them played before and after 67 and being watching in utter amazement that uh, we actually made another final. But this time, we were playing Feyenoord in Milan and um, obviously losing that one, which is probably why it was uh, not as famous. I once heard uh, this described as being a dirty secret in the family and uh, talking about lines, it's probably best encapsulated a clip of Tommy Gemmell being asked, when, when actually talking about being asked multiple times uh, by fans, uh, that was some score, goal that you scored in the final, and replying, which one? Now, there's uh, many iconic moments and quotes uh, from the team, none more so than uh, the image of Big Billy holding the European Cup over his head in the Estadio Nacional. It's a... Uh, a metaphorical victorious gladiator holding aloft the head of a slain enemy. And if uh, that uh, head in inverted commas uh, would encapsulate anybody, it would be Sarty, who they had in goal, to spare them just a 2-1 defeat. His numerous saves in that match, and along with our immense attacking flair, 
probably just about sat right at a 2-1 win for the men in green and white. Now, as much as uh, the rest of the team and the manager missed out on, quite rightly, their moment in uh, the Lisbon Sun, that image is probably one of the best ever of a winning European Cup captain. Even though the team has been immortalised thereafter and uh, long after, it's uh, just a shame that uh, they never were able to be um, pictured all together holding up the European Cup after winning. We're moving on to legendary manager Jock's team, his uh, quote of pure event of football. The final showcased this, and uh, along with the, that we never stopped long before Ange rocked up to Lennox Town. When you look at the things that he brought to the team and what he changed, it's, uh, it's an absolute miracle that he turned a group of players around into European champions within just a couple of years. I remember my very good mate Andy Moreni telling me, now this would have been early uh, or pre what YouTube is just now and the internet is, uh, that if I ever got the chance to see the full game, that I would see an absolute masterclass in midfield from Bobby Murdoch. And how he had actually made, he was the one that made the tick tick when he played. There's also other squad members that didn't make the final. More so particularly harsh on Joe McBride, who was well on track to better his league's top goal scorer after an injury in December 66. In an interview with uh, Billy McNeil, there's a few here. There's uh, one where he's uh, talking about going for a relaxing evening walk with the squad the night before and um, trying to get back to the hotel and scrambling down a hill on the way back and uh, thinking back of what that could have meant had there been some injuries. Also recently I've heard of him painting three Adidas stripes onto a blacked out pair of, uh, I believe, Puma boots so that he could take advantage of uh, the sponsorship cash that was available. Standing in the same tunnel, his voice echoing and recanting the story of walking through that same tunnel back in 67 and uh, the sound of uh, the numerous players' boots as they're heading towards the bottom of the stairs before going out and being stopped by the referee and talking about that nervousness that was kicking in and uh, how it was uh, broken by an absolute masterstroke with Bertie Alls belting out the Celtic song to relax the lines. Bertie Alls, uh, we described in, in Glasgow as being a gallus guy, told in his own words brilliantly uh, when replying to being told to look at the inter-team and saying, aye, but can they play? Now, the only line that I've ever met twice is via Paul, uh, the original holy goalie, John Fallon. I've mentioned in pods before about this, one of those being uh, the book launch at the Carnook Shamrock, and then once with Paul when we were interviewing him before the Molder home game a few years back during uh, Ronnie's tenure. That uh, was memorable for a, a few um, different things, uh, one of which was uh, the... Molda Cortio that arrived at the stadium as we were doing that interview and then myself being heckled by some Tims who had mistook me for Raman Bavaj of uh, STV fame. Now Paul still finds this amusing to this day whilst I'm still affronted not just because in my humble opinion I'm better looking but I've heard, I've heard and have on good authority that he's one of them. Now Paul you asked uh, what does this mean to me so what I would say is immense pride of not only what that team achieved, 
that being the first British non-Latin side to win the European Cup, but how they actually did it and the benchmark that they've set for future teams and managers. Uh, again, directly after being requested to be the opposition of choice for Real Madrid legend De Stefano and putting on a display in the Bernabeu to win 1-0. What does it mean to Celtic? Well, that's the fairy tale around this club that Billy McNeil spoke about. Even after all these years, we have the centenary year, we're a double winning team, the 125th anniversary and the beating of Barca with that full stadium TIFO. And uh, the fact that uh, you and me are, uh, and the rest of everyone listening and uh, taking part, reminiscing about our greatest ever team. These are my memories around the Lisbon lines. Hail, hail. You know, it's often said that uh, the greatest season in our club's history began with a tour of America. Um, but never. Because the tour actually began at the end of the 65-66 season. Having won the league championship, Steen was acutely aware that to do anything in the European Cup, we would need to have experience of quality opposition. That's why we ended up playing the likes of Tottenham Hotspur a couple of times in Bayern Munich. And in an 11-game tour, which began in the middle of May and ended on 12th of June, just to get that experience. But what also happened was a team bonding began. You know, the guys are away for four or five weeks, touring America and Canada, all over America. And being unbeaten really helped it as well. We played 11 games, as I said, and we were unbeaten in them all. So that was a massive thing because everybody knew each other inside out. And let's not forget, when I talk about Celtic going into the European Cup, and Steen looking for the quality opposition that they would face in the European Cup. It has to be remembered, this was our first ever venture into the European Cup. So let's not forget that on the first time we entered the competition, we won it. Which is just absolutely mind-blowing. But it set the scene for a season that would take our breaths away. And of course... The first friendly we actually did play that season was against Manchester United. This was Manchester United of Charlton, Best and Law. Manchester United who were as good as anything they'd been in their history. And we managed to absolutely wipe the floor with them 4-1 in a pre-season friendly. And that was another steam tactic of let's get quality opposition to Celtic Park so that we can prepare for, for what lies ahead. You know, football was much more of a team game then. It wasn't so much about the squad. But it is important to recognise, of course, that there was a squad there and it served its purpose well. Um, and what I find absolutely incredible is that Steen 
was already saying to the players, this could be a season to remember. You know, we could do something really, really special this season. And what he was doing, of course, was installing the belief in the players that there was nothing to fear. That they were as good as anybody in the world. And of course they were. And it's incredible and has to be recognised the geographical aspect of this, which is, of course, that the players were all born within 30 miles of Celtic Park. Now, that's something, when we talk about history and achievement and all that, I mean, that will never be equaled again. It just won't. Um, and again, you know, people like uh, Bobby Lennox for Ayrshire were regarded as foreigners. <laughs> so the setting was there. And the players were there. And of course now the manager was there. And let's not forget as well that the manager had only taken over in March 1965. So we were only, as we entered this season, into his second season really. Second proper season. Again, absolutely remarkable, but then it shows you the impact that a man like Jokestein had.
So obviously the Lisbon Lions stand alone uh, in the history of our club is untouchable and never to be surpassed because you'll never be the first again. Uh, we've been 40 years age, obviously, never seen him in the flesh, although I do remember, I think in the early 90s, I don't know if it was the Jungle's last stand, would have been 94, or if it was maybe some kind of 25th anniversary match for Lisbon, about 92 or something, where Celtic legends had played, well, it wasn't legends, it was just more or less the teams that won the European Cup against Manchester United, uh, survivors for their win, uh, the year after is and, uh, and I, I remember Jinky just then with people just jinking in and out and in and out and scoring a, a brilliant orb that night and uh, so that, that would be my only real memory obviously I seen any of them kick a football and but it's one that I cherish for and I always will um, but I was lucky enough thanks to Paul to be in the company of John Hughes and the, one of the nights with anyone but Celtic launching the uh, up in Anvil and Ridley and spent the night with the man just chatting what have you as it, when, when you got the certainty and what struck me was he was just a genuine big gentleman absolute down to earth gentleman and inductive with the, the players that we had back then and, and that's what made him so special as well obviously all the, the legend stuff that everybody knows we born within the 30 miles are Glasgow and what have you, but they were just real men and, and, and he was no different, he was just a, a lovely big guy and, and, and a, t- a time for everybody that night, just a, a second and I'm pretty sure he had his uh, Lisbon blazer on and, and, and that was a great night, a, another one that I'll, I'll remember for a long time. Um, so another thing I would maybe worth talking about with my, my personal memories is I went to watches against Benfica a couple of times under Strachan and that in about 2000 and, was it 2006 and then 2007 or, or 2007, 2008, consecutive years anyway. The first time I went to Lisbon, I went myself. So we'd done the one traveller thing, wasn't getting pissed or anything like that. Who fuck knows where I ended up with that was the case, uh, Paul. <laughs> uh, so, again, Lisbon... And I done that, and the pilgrimage you had to go to the Stadio Nacional, didn't you? If you're there, and and it was outside the stadium, just done what you did, and jumped the taxi, it went, and it was obvious the, the driver had done that journey so many times before. It was straight there, and and you went to the the bubbles of the stadium, and fucking hell, you you felt it, you just everything, you felt the the history. I'm getting goose pimples and shivers and everything. The news. Just thinking back to walking into where the greatest moment of your history took place and all the iconic images and where it had been like for folk and it was, it was just, just uh, almost an out, I don't mean out of body experience but it was like that was it that was you and and, and it was there that was that's all it was there and oh my god it was fucking unbelievable so I, I spent about an hour in the stadium just walking about myself and up to the, the podium bit and down to the penalty spot just where we put the ball in the net to win it and, and it, obviously again it was uh, I'd, I'd went right early I think I went out more or less first thing in the morning uh, about 8 o'clock or something 9 o'clock so there wasn't many folk there I think it was about a dozen or so kicking about and I ended up sharing a taxi back with a few guys into Lisbon City Centre as, as you did and, and that was 
it, it, that was the day before the game, and to be honest, it, that, you could have taken me home there and then just forgot about the, the game because it was a pilgrimage and it was, it was, it had to be done. Um, so aye, that's that, that, that's what I've got to say about the Lions, to be honest, and God rest every one of them that's no ways, and I hope every one of them that's still here is looked after and they'll always be revered, they'll always be revered to us. Of course, these were the days when the League Cup was played early and we had uh, played a lot of League Cup matches before we actually played our first league game that season and we demolished everybody on our way to a, a final against Rangers. Um, final was only actually played 12 days after the semi-final um, but it was a really, really important game because we won 1-0, Bobby, Len Bobby Lennox scored a great goal and um, it doesn't really get spoken about now but what everybody spoke about at the time was um, Willie O'Neill's goal line clearance at the end in the last minute that basically saved the day for Celtic and won us a cup but that was a massive um, psychological uh, thing for us because the early part of the 60s and I would argue that apart from their help for referees probably the last time any team for Ibrox were competitive without cheating Rangers had a psychological grip on us in the early 60s that we just could not break. But we had started to break it and to win a cup against them at Hamden early in the season, October, um, was massive for the players. Massive for the players. And it instilled the belief that, you know, that this league championship that they'd won the year before, it wasn't like a one-off. And it wasn't one of the kind of freak things, that, you know, every so often like a Leicester or you know, um, when Hertz almost won the league. <laughs> um, so it was brilliant. And of course, it was a great goal by Bill Williams. It was a volley. And um, what was also notable that day was substitutes had just been introduced in cup competitions. And Steve Chalmers was on the bench for Celtic that day. He's the first ever guy um, to be a substitute in a cup final for Celtic. But Steen was reminding his players after the game that, you know, tell you we're the best, we're the best in Scotland, we're the best in Britain, and we can be the best in Europe as well. Hello everybody, still out of the Thames listeners, um, Celtic fans, Faye morning here from Dublin, and uh, yeah, the, the Lisbon Lions, the Immortals, um, 1967, where do you start with them? Um, such a, you know, you you can't really capture adequate superlatives um, to describe what this team did um, from a clean sweep of domestic titles um, to go and conquer Europe then in, at the end of that season on the 25th of May, 67. It's, as Paul has said so many times, I've either in his videos or you know in his writings, um, that team changed the world. Um, for me, in the history of British football, other than arguably England winning the World Cup in '66, I think Celtic's winning of the European Cup in '67 is the single greatest uh, achievement in Britain in British football. Um, the way they did it on the on the day itself, um, 
it's probably I was probably only into my thirties, I'd say, when I actually got to see the match in its entirety, and I've probably watched it half a dozen times at least since then. Um, and I remember the first time I, s- I saw the game in its entirety, and I was just blown away um, by this team. European Cup finals, you could count on one hand probably the amount of exciting European Cup finals or attacking Cup European Cup finals, and I've, I've watched nearly every single one of them since... I was old enough to remember them. Obviously, I was uh, I was eight months old when when uh, Celtic won the European Cup. Um, so I suppose when I started watching the European Cup finals, it was probably at seventy four, seventy five time. I was eight or nine. Um, I can remember wonderful attacking performances by that great Milan team in the nineties when they swatted aside Barcelona four 0 with Rijkaard and Hullis and uh, that team Brazy. Um, all that great, those great players to 2011 Barcelona when they made absolute shite of Fergie's Man United and Wembley 3-1 um, it could have been 6-1 or more you know Messi at his best and Pedro and all those great players Busquets, Iniesta, Xavi loved that team um, loved that performance but as I say before I digress there Celtic's performance against Inter it's just it was mind blowing when I saw it for the first time um, just it wasn't wave after wave of attacks it was a fucking tsunami of attacks they absolutely annihilated Inter on everything but the scoreline um, I think it's 42 attempts to 5 I think were the stats 42 Celtic goal attempts in a European Cup final as underdogs coming from one goal down I mean as we know and we've all read this time and time again and especially with Italian teams you go a goal down to an Italian team and that's it you're, you're gone you're goosed there's no way back um, so for Celtic to concede that penalty after seven minutes and it didn't phase them in the slightest they just roared back um, the keeper interkeeper and the woodwork saved Inter from a humiliation um, it, as I said it was a tsunami of, of Celtic attacks um, what struck me individually now was obviously a collective performance and and um, but it was, as I said the first time I watched that game I thought Bobby Murdoch's performance was just in a world of its own I, now obviously we didn't see enough footage of, of you know we all know how good uh, Jinky was, you know, and rightly so, and um, voted Celtic's greatest ever player, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, from what I've seen of of those all too precious and rare clips, um, but on the day of the final itself, Bobby Murdoch for me was was the man of the match. I just it's a Rolls Royce of a player. He, he, I was just his performance really stood out to me. Uh, Bertie Ald also brave, skillful. Daring, uh, then you know, defensively, John Clark. I'd say he was hard as nails. Just looking at his gait, looking at the way he played. Um, but that whole team, you know, um, was just it was so strong in every department. Um, and you couldn't, you couldn't picture, you couldn't create a better leader 
than Billy McNeil. Um, never was a nickname more apt for me than Caesar. He's just this this giant of a man, um, Celtic through and through, handsome, strong, committed. Um, yeah, just that's captain material right there. Um, but what I loved also about that Celtic performance um, as was just to say all them attacks but how high up the pitch Jim Craig and Tommy Gemmell were um, culminating in the two goals you know Jim Craig for the first is, is really, really high up the pitch at right back cuts the ball back and his left back Tommy Gemmell has cut inside uh, with that right foot to smash the ball for, in for the equaliser so you're talking right there in 1967, of probably a team ahead of its time with it with not only attacking fullbacks, but you've Tommy Gemmell coming inside to take a pass from his right back. Um, is that the is that the original in, introverted? Is that what you call introverted fullback that that uh, Greg Taylor plays now? Tommy Gemmell invented it in '67. Is that what we're saying? Um, but that was that was that team, wasn't it? They just played with no fear. They played it off the cuff. They just passed and passed and just it was that sort of equaliser, what a thunderous equaliser. And then the winning goal again, you've Tommy Gemmell high up the pitch, cuts it back for, for Bobby Murdoch to drive it into the box and Stevie Chalmers sticks out that boot and uh, at that stage you could you know, watching again again, watching it for the first time when when Chalmers scores that second goal you just know you just know that Inter are broken, they're gone. Um, and for that, the dog barking in the background is, I have two dogs, and that's Jinky uh, barking. <laughs> so he must know that we're talking about the Lisbon Lions. So good timing from Jinky coming in barking. Um, so look at, uh, yeah, that performance, as I say, when the second goal went in, um, it's 2-1 to Celtic. Inter are broken. They're not coming back from that. Um, then the, the aftermath, when the final whistle goes, and the... the, the just the outpouring of, of sheer joy and delight um, of all the Celtic fans who who took every possible route to, to Lisbon. Um, the stories I've read and I've heard, legendary, um, incredible support from, from the Celtic fans. It must have been, you know, you you take you take that trip to you. If that was the only away trip you ever made in your whole life anywhere, and it could have been for some for some people, it might have been the only time they they managed to to make a foreign trip. My God, what a trip to make to see their famous Glasgow Celtic lift the European Cup against Inter. Um, the first British side to bring home the big cup. Um, you know, it used to it used to annoy me, probably still does, but when I was younger, you know, or growing up and back in Ireland, again, mainly, um, I've said this before, I was probably the only Celtic fan uh, in my school growing up in Dublin. It was all Man United's Liverpool, Arsenal, Leeds, um, and United fans were saying, "Oh yeah, Man United, the first English team to win the European Cup." And I said, "Is that so now? Yeah, well, the first English team, well, the first British team to win the European Cup was Celtic." So shut the fuck up, like. <laughs> so it it always was an enormous uh, sense of pride being a Celtic fan growing up that Celtic had done what they done in '67, um, and when when my mother brought back those three football shirts I was the youngest of three boys at the time a younger sister later on but I was the youngest of three boys and my, my mother's sister had married a Scotsman from Dundee and my mother brought home 
three football jerseys and one of them was a green and white hooped one and uh, I gravitated towards that I grabbed it um, I was probably four or five years four years old at the time and my dad told me there that's a Celtic shirt and my dad was sufficiently interested in football to to tell me about the Lisbon Lions and uh, this great Celtic team and um, that was that's how I became a Celtic fan was just grabbing that green and white shirt that my, my mother brought back and like I said my dad uh, taught me about the Lisbon Lions and taught me this great team the first British team to win the European Cup so um, nobody will ever be able to take that achievement away from Celtic Football Club and those 11 incredible incredible players and um, the immortal Jock Steen as the manager um, they will never be that, that achievement, as I say, will, for me, will never be beaten in British football, um, and certainly in British club football, the Immortals, the Lisbon Lions. So that's my, my take on the folks. Um, thanks for listening, as always. God bless. Hail, hail. The second trophy of the season um, was the Glasgow Cup which were won by beating Partick Thistle 4-0 in the final. Um, Stevie Chalmers scored and Bobby Lennox scored a hat-trick. And there was a wee bit um, sort of consternation around the club at the time because Jinky had been a wee bit misbehaving and Joe Steen had dropped him completely, saying that his fitness wasn't up to scratch. He also berated the players after the game, even though they won the final 4-0, um, saying that that was not of a Celtic standard, the performance. And it reminded me of, um, you know, when Alec Ferguson done it, uh, when Aberdeen beat Rangers 1-0 in 1983. I remember John Fallon saying to me that, you know, the question he got asked the most was, what was Big Joke like? And he used to just say, look at Alec Ferguson, that's what he was like. So, Ferguson took everything for steam, including that kind of thing. Um, mind playing and that's exactly what Jokestein done after this game was that he basically berated the players and said nah it's not good enough game was played on a Monday night at Celtic Park um, and it was interesting because the other game they knocked the Huns out early the Glasgow Cup and beat Queen's Park in the kind of semi-final if you like so it was um, an important trophy then the Glasgow Cup it's always been a thing where I've, I've always thought like you know, I went to a lot of Glasgow Cup games and finals and stuff like that. And I'm not really sure why it kind of dissipated. You know, I know I get the fact that there's games more important and all that kind of stuff now. But, you know, when we talk about this season, we always mention all the trophies, not just some. So that was Trophy 2, Secure, and it was only November. I love the colourful clothes she wears And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I hear the sound of a On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations
Small matter, he entered in the European Cup as well and um, FC Zurich was the first tie and we beat them home and away and it was very, very comfortable, obviously they were the champions of Switzerland and uh, we beat them 2-0 at Celtic Park in the first game and 3-0 away and, um, you know, this was very much a time where I don't think it would even have Batting an eyelid and getting somebody like Zurich, you know, it would just be seen as, as cannon fodder. The next team, however, wouldn't be. And um, Nantes were the champions of France. And French football was, it wasn't certainly as strong as it is now. And of course the national team, but it was still strong. And it was, Nantes had sent a delegation over to Celtic Park to watch us in games. Um which was, believe it or not, that didn't really happen a lot. Um, maybe sent one guy, a scout over, or the manager would go over, you know, things like that, just on his own. They sent a delegation to look at every aspect of our team, so Big Jock was kind of like, mm, you know, maybe we should uh, take them a bit more seriously than uh, perhaps people think we should. Um, and so, 
you know, at that time Celtic were scoring goals for fun. There was an incredible 5-4 win at Dunfermline a couple of weeks before the first Nantes game. We went over to France and won 3-1 and um, it was a, a brilliant performance by the team to kind of essentially um, make the second leg a formality. Um, and that was another 3-1 victory. And of course, as was mentioned on this podcast already, Joe McBride had been scoring goals for fun only to get injured in December. And, uh, you know, God knows how many um, goals he would have scored had he been fit all season and where he would have been in our history and all that. And it is sad because anybody who met Joe McBride, as previously mentioned, Joe was an absolute gentleman. Total and utter gentleman. But Steen knew he had to plug a gap and so um, just ruined out the, the second leg against Nantes. He signed Willie Wallace for Hearts for 30,000. And Willie made his debut against Motherwell in a 4-2 victory um, a couple of days after that. Um, what was also um, kind of prevalent, if you like, at the time was the fact that um, the police had made an announcement saying that there was people selling, I quote, obscene songbooks outside Celtic Park. Um, now, actually, in reality, um, there were nothing obscene about them at all. They were actually first um, sold against nonce at Celtic Park for 6D a pop, uh, and they had 11 rebel and anti-royalist songs in them. <laughs> I'd love to know who it was that made that book, I really would. Um, and then, of course, uh, it's sort of all hell broke loose as usual, and Robert Kelly denied the clubs officially selling it and all that kind of thing, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was all really a stoosh about nothing. But um, I, Willie Wallace made his debut against Murrow in the 4 2 game, Stevie Chalmers scored the hat trick. And we were kind of cruising along nicely, um, just building that head of steam needed, I guess, when you're when you're on the brink of something very, very special. There's very little I can say on the achievements of the Lisbon Lions. It hasn't been said before. It's an unprecedented achievement in world football. Never mind Scottish football. Um, they won a big cup. They won everything else that season. They lost three games the entire season. Two of them were Dundee United, bizarrely, which I'm sure people are uh, Dundee United fans everywhere, basically, we talk about it all the time. Um, but it's an achievement that's been mentioned over and over again, and I'm not going to continue here, and I'm sure you'll hear. Other people on this podcast laying it off better than I will. My experience with the Lisbon Lions is, is pretty limited. Um, I've never really met too many of them, um, which is, is probably surprising, but I do have a few stories in them. Um, I think my, my favourite one is probably the kind of, it's the Lions around Lisbon, you know, because it's obviously the start of 11, which everybody knows. But there's the, the other Lions who helped get us there, the likes of. Charlie Gallagher and, uh, and one, the one I'm going to mention is Joe McBride. And the Joe McBride was a, 
a, a terrific goal scorer for Celtic and he was Celtic's top scorer in the 66-67 season despite the fact he was injured in December and didn't play the rest of the season so that's why he didn't, wasn't able to play Lisbon um, the Joe never really recovered properly for that injury unfortunately he, he kind of came back a couple of times but he was never the same player um, so I went to the, the San Francisco Celtic convention in 2010 I wasn't somewhere I was supposed to go Originally, I was meant to be going to New York in the March. Um, or was it April? Maybe the April, actually. Um, and the day before, or no, a few days before, I was supposed to go to New York. There was that damn ash cloud from the, the volcano in Iceland which just stopped travel. Um, I eventually cleared up, but it didn't clear up until the day after I was meant to fly. Um, so my New York trip got cancelled and I got a refund. And it was a case of, well, what did I do now? Well, I've been at Celtic Convention, I'll do that, so that took me to San Francisco instead. And it was never something I'd done before, never something I'd really thought about doing before. I'm not... I don't have the biggest uh, friend base when it comes to, to to Celtic, which is maybe a bit unusual for some. Um, so I was going there for about 10 fiancé. Um, not knowing what to expect, not knowing really anybody there. I mean, the, the guys for the, the Lost Boys podcast, a few of them were going to be turning up in a couple of days. So my first day there was, was miserable. Uh, I was wondering what was doing there. Um, San Francisco was nice, but it was a case of I'm completely lost here. And it must have came across because the two of us were sitting at this table and all uncles, John Breed, sits down and just chats away us. Like, totally regular guy. And it was maybe 20 minutes the guy spoke to us and it was I could have sat there for hours honestly he was the kindest nicest guy he helped make me feel at home at our convention when I was already feeling completely lost and that turned out to be one of the great it was a great week and all but it all started because Joe came over and just sat there and talked to us he could see we were lost and he, he just knew um, and by the end of that week I, it was, I remember seeing him in the the, the, the airport on the way back home. And I just, you all right, Joe? I no bother, just let me see. Um, totally down to earth guy, and it, it, it almost broke my heart when, when he died. There was such a small sort of memorial at Celtic Park uh, in his honour. It was only a couple of years after that San Francisco one. Um, but I made sure I was, I was there, and, and I was the only ones that tied my scarf onto the railings. Um, they, he should be a more well-known name in Celtic history, given his, his goal-scorer exploits. Um, and I think that injury not only cost him the ability to be in like, the, the century boys, 100 goals for Celtic, but not, not only that, but it kind of probably cost him his place in Lisbon itself. I um, We would have had a different start in 11 to Job and Fat, I think. Uh, another one I met... I, 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 Another Celtic convention, actually, I seems to be where I meet them. Um, in, in Vegas, with, with, with Bertie Old, and now everybody talks about Bertie Old, and we all have exactly the same story. He is the happiest guy you ever knew. Um, he always, always had time for Celtic fans, um, and he's the only one I have a picture with. Um, so, yeah, I, my stories of Bertie are exactly the same as everybody else. Um, Fun enough, the other one I remember for those conventions was Dixie Dean's because he was a wind-up person, but I'm not kidding, I'm guessing not always been lying. Um, 
the three ex-players that go out in these things are always great. I think we're probably losing something that these days because you don't get the same interaction. But that generation of Celtic players is is, is great fun, and they all mix with the fans. And they kind of go under the radar a little bit because they're not the rich and famous like the current footballers are. But yeah, it's they're great. But um, the the funniest one for me though, yeah, I used to go on a lot to the Celtic Grave Society events, and I'd record them. Um, and I've still got the recordings. Around. I try and link them on the Celtic wiki um, to the ones that I've been to. But there was one, uh, I had to look this up actually, it was Joseph Cullen, a goalkeeper back in the early days of Celtic. And I was standing there, I got a prime position to record the, the speakers uh, right up the front. Um, and I was actually, uh, usually I would stand with the crowd, but for some reason on this day I was standing with the speakers just off centre. <laughs> So, then Don Demons was standing there, I looked along and went, I'm standing up here, and there's, like, Brendan Sweeney, who has his own place in Celtic history, and then there's Jim Craig, Lisbon Lyon, and patron of the Celtic Grave Society, and then next to him is John Fallon, who was a substitute goalkeeper in Lisbon that day, and then next to him is Charlie Gallagher, who's one of the other Lisbon Lions, he didn't play in Lisbon, but he helped get his, he's him that supplied the cross uh, to the Barman Neal winner against Foyvedina, so Charlie Gallagher's up there with everybody else, as far as I'm concerned, and should always be remembered that way. <laughs> I think Tony Hamilton was there, because Tony Hamilton was a lot as well, he's obviously uh, kind of chief of the the uh, foundation. <laughs> There's me. It's, I am the most out of place I have ever been. Because there's a bunch of Celtic legends standing next to me and me. <laughs> I should have grabbed the, the, the feather was standing there doing the blessing. Just me and you out here. We don't belong here. Uh, it was just it was a surreal moment of why am I here? I don't belong here. Never in my life have I ever felt so out of place. Um, but yeah, if you if, if the, the Celtic Grave Society events are usually something that's good to get along if, if if you want to meet these guys. I mean, there's, there's some photos over the years. Of, like I think there was one event. It was like Billy McNeil and um, Stevie Chalmers embracing each other, but they hadn't seen each other in a while. That was a photo at a Celtic Grave Society event, and of course, um, when the two of them passed away, it was within days of each other. Um, so that's quite a it's quite a heartbreaking picture now, um, to, to think of that way, but yeah, I, I, I've probably met a few of them along the way and not really spoke to them, because I'm always in awe of these people. <laughs> um, they, they, they did amazing things for the club that we all love, so uh, they are rightly legends, every one of them. Oh. Into the European Cup quarterfinals, and um, you know, we'd done really well, we'd kept the goals flying in over the New Year period in January, February, we played a friendly against Dino Zagreb just to keep the team ticking over. Um, we were facing Vojvodina, Champions Yugoslavia in the quarterfinals. And uh, we lost the first leg uh, 1-0. And what was really interesting is we only lost three competitive games that season. That was one of them, obviously. And two of them were to Dundee United, both of which were 3-2 defeats. A kind of anomaly that's up there with Dundee United's record against Barcelona, I would guess. Um, but the Vodjavadina game was one of the team felt that um, they were the best team that we'd faced thus far. They were on a really, really good side, and he expected a Titanic tussle at uh, Celtic Park for their turn leg. And um, 
this is one of the games where it's really, really difficult to sort of guesstimate what the actual crowd was, you know, because basically every Celtic supporter of that generation would say they were there and so on, and uh, just so much myth about it. Um, but Steen was, of course, he was looking for any advantage. Um, and so he played a wee flanker. Uh, he basically told the Vojvodina squad and manager um, that there was concerns about the Celtic Park pitch. And he basically felt that, you know, by being trainer on it, might put the return leg in jeopardy. Of course, it probably wasn't as bad as we thought, but he just wanted to make sure they didn't have to train on the Celtic Park pitch and give them any kind of edge. Um, but he knew how difficult a task was facing Celtic, and so he made an actual appeal to the fans uh, that he had had to. He had basically said to them that he had put in his most thought and preparation to any game he'd ever managed. Um, Boskov was their manager. He was a master tactician as well, and try to think it's kind of thing. Um, Seventy-five thousand tickets were sold um, for an eight o'clock kickoff, but again, who knows how many was in there? And um, yeah, it was one of the games where I think everybody that generation describes it as probably the best game they ever saw at Celtic Park, just because of the enormity. Um, Stevie Chalmers scored again in fifty-eight minutes, and of course. Billy McNeil scored by a header in the last minute and having spoken to and met Charlie Gallagher many times, Charlie always, who took the corner that day for Billy's goal, used to always say, you know, if I had a pound for a run, he said, I'm standing right behind you when you took that corner, he said, I'd be a multi-millionaire like, you know. Um, but remember as well, we're talking, we have to remember about the, the first Celtic were doing. This was actually the first time Celtic had been a goal, had been basically doing in a game for your first leg and recovered it. <laughs> so everything was new. Um, and it could have all been so different because Puzibaric for Vojvodina missed an absolute setup for six yards in front of goal uh, in the first five minutes. But we done it and we were on to the semi-final. Fucking wedding, it's not on. 
bang, bang, you know, you never know. So on we go, on we go, bang, void for Dina, fucked. Good, take her back, both fucked them, so we oh, run the final. What are you gonna do? Oh, fuck. Well, the first thing I got to do is, my mom and dad, they know what's gonna happen. They fucking know where I'm going, they know I'm going, and they're saying, how do you break that to her? Terps. So I just need to tell them, myself. So I go up. I think I'm up with my old man sitting there. How you doing? Hi, blah, blah, blah. I'm here, but I'm Oh, your team made the final, Tommy. That's a game, isn't it? I said, aye, aye, aye. What are you doing? Instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to go, what's <laughs> I'm cancelling the bed. And he just started laughing. He said, I figured that was coming. He said, I asked no problem. He said, anyway, he said, he said what have you used in Boy Street? He said, so give you a chance to do it up. He said, we can you know, work it over the, the next year. He said, well, have you said that for the, the new wedding? I said, I don't know yet. I said, but it's definitely not going to be this year. I said, because I'm bluting that money. At that time, you know, we hadn't saved up a lot, but we had we'd put a deposit down on a or mid kitchen, coming out. So uh, yeah, we did pretty good, like you know. Conductress made me sit inside just as you go on the bus. And a big banner with me and my select scarf, select Tammy. She said, sit there. And I said, well, I'm going to stay for a smoke. Sit there. Nobody's going to bother you. Where are you going to go? I've got a Lisbon. Right, ah, OK. Right, where are you going to first? I said, I'm going to Gobbles Cross. That's where I'm getting the bus. Down to Gobbles Cross on the bus. All the people were on the bus. People in Castmog shouting out their windies. I was walking to the bus stop where got a gear on. Get down the gobbles, bus stops right in the middle of the cross, the bus stop, right in the middle of the gobbles cross. Driver comes out, comes running round, hugs me, says, bring back a cup. Gobbles cross is just fucking bouncing with people, like, you know, like to say Cheerio is on a bus. Anyway, we get in the bus, we go, we arrive in Lisbon. So there's myself, Chug. This big guy, big Newcastle guy called John Bell, who just started supporting Celtic this, that year. We land in there, it's about five, six in the morning. We get into the main square in, in Lisbon. What about not so just deadly? Jesus Christ, there's everybody that's supposed to be this mass exodus. As I say, it's about six in the morning. See that big chapel there. Come on, we'll go out to the chapel, say a couple of prayers, aye, and we go. And some cutting story show, there's a lot happening in between. And we go to the chapel, walk up these big stairs, big beautiful chapel. Hundreds in it. Oh, they were sleeping in the confessional boxes, they were sleeping in the pews, they were sleeping everywhere. Right, every, every chair had, you know, the, the seats in the chapel. Punters all lying with banners covering them up. Everybody. On the statues as well. You might see that. It was unbelievable. A wee grotto. People sleeping in the grotto. That's all right. So we, we meet this wee young boy, Portuguese boy, no shoes on or nothing. 
he takes his over Lisbon that day, making sure nobody's ripping his ass for the whole lot, having a great time. He comes to the game when we couldn't get him in, he's stunning great, he was only about 10 maybe, but he was a wee street boy, but he knew the score about what was happening. So he even waits at the bus stairs and we come out, and we know we did, you know, say of course, he one knows, say like one, and it's hard to explain Jesus just went through one of the parts of the, that did hurt me the most thing that hurted me that day we were leaving was in the bus sitting in the bus Shog and I sitting in the bus and when there are all the people the gobbles outside Benny's bar waving at us and shouting and the old man storing outside looking up at the bus storing there with his well his own big Colombo coat he always wore his bonnet that was always ripped on the top he had this rip on it you could see it for a mile away and he shut and he just shouted bring back a cup son you know that was that. even to this day it, it still bothers me he should have been gone no me and I'm sitting there going, and I, and I felt bad at the time, and I said to Shug, Shug, he should be gone, I shouldn't be gone. And he said, he had his chance, Thomas, he had his chance. I asked my dad years and years later, why did he do that? Why did he take the money? Why did he no money go? He said, Thomas, I got told a hot pot. He said, and I stuck it on the hot pot, because it was going to be the greatest days in all our lives. He said, you know, it would be you, me, Shug. He said, and I took Tony and Mick, my two brothers, they said it was a hot pot. I stuck everything I had on it. Everything, every penny I had, they said I stuck on that house because I wanted us all to be there as a family. He said, and it just didn't work out. He said, but at least you go. He said, so that's the main thing. So anyway, we, you know, we, we're, I'm on the park. I'm actually in the Selic film as well, sitting in the square. With two guys, and we just lift up our drinks as the camera passed us. I remember sitting after the game, sitting on the bumper of the bus, just watching everybody coming out of the park, and I was green. I was green. So happiness, green. That I had seen it. That I had finally seen it. After all the years of waiting to see European football at Parkhead, I'd seen it. This man come up to me, I don't know who the guy was. And he just picks me up and he says, Hey son, you know, we done it. He's greeting, I'm greeting. I don't know the man for Adam. And just hugging one that over scarf throwing and you know you know, it was I just had to explain the feeling. And then the 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 bus kind of cavalcade of buses going back Penarol, where the the games were in that in the stadium, doing through the kind of mountains, through the trees, with the limousines and the, the motorcycle cops and the sirens going going down into Lisbon, and it must have been all the buses, all the buses was taking us right back to the airport or whatever, and the the line of buses, if you looked at the wind as you were heading down into Lisbon. The buses and the, the, the limousines and the, the, the motorcycle police and all the scarfs that the, 
the Wendy's and the place was just, it was a magnificent sight. And then as we pulled down the hill, we come to the Trapolites and these Trapolites and then you're in Lisbon and the people were out in the streets and, you know, they, they were trying to pull the scarves and the banners off as they were hanging. Because we're all hanging out the Wendy's. But, you know, when you say Paul, can you explain it? No, it's very difficult to explain the emotion, how it felt, my dad missing it. But then we get back. We get back in the morning. I walked up. I got off, I got off the, the bus in the morning. Well, it was early in the morning, but maybe 7 o'clock, something like that. And my Casimir Drive and Glenica Drive. And I start, and I'm just myself, go to walk, and who's walking down the street but my dad? Oh, he says, Thomas, what a night he says, I was here on Casimir last night. He says, it was amazing. He says, how did it go? I said, great. He says, where are you going? I said, I'm getting in. He says, no. He says, come on to work. The two of us were working on the grip and Kinnam Park. And I said, well, I'm not going to work today. He said, there'll be anybody working today. He said, come on. He says, just turn around, come on with me. He said, we're going down to the building site. We're going to the site, Kinnam Park. He said, we've got a baby. He said, the boys are a little bit wanting to know. You need to tell all the boys. So all right then. So we jumped in the bus and away we quick in the park. Of course, we get in. we got a fireplace going in this place where we're working. And the site was sitting around about it. Somebody comes in, a few cans of beer, a couple of bottles of Lani. And that was us. We get into it. Well, we're finished for the back of living. It was that right. Fuck it. Off to the Gorbals, out of Benny's bar, in there, met all my mates, go to steaming, make our way up to Parkhead for the boys coming back. Up to Parkhead, they had a business there, there was all the stuff at Parkhead, them going round. Come out, don't remember too much more about the rest of the night. I just know I was on the late bus for George Square, and I bought a lanny. And I was singing like a fucking windy on that bus, telling everybody to sing with me. I was giving it all the rebel songs. Oh, just mental, drunk. But explain it. Did you see it? Did you see it? I seen it all. And I'm proud to say I seen it all. Proud to say like, I love it. And I loved every single Tim that was there. God bless Glasgow Celtic and God bless all the Tims. That's about it, Paul. There's a lot more to it, but it would take two years. Talk to you later. Thanks. Of course, the League Championship was secured at Ibrox uh, in a two-all draw with Jinky scoring both goals. Uh, the second one, an absolute screamer. And there was that iconic image of Jinky being lifted up by the players. And um, Helenio Herrera was over to watch Celtic um, because by now we were in the final because we'd drawn 0-0 in Prague and um, a lot of talk about how we played defensively to get a draw and all that and I've, basically, I've spoken to every Lisbon line and every single one of them said that um, there was no instruction to play defensive or to play a normal game etc it was just that they were that good that they had us pinned back for most of the game. And what's quite interesting is English teams 
left European competitions, all of a sudden the focus of Britain was on Celtic in the European Cup, getting to the European Cup final. And Steen remembered Kenneth Wollstoneholm being a wee bit dismissive of Celtic. This was a famous commentator who said, I think it's all over it is now in the Cup final. Um, which Phelan Warren mentioned, and I'm glad he mentioned that because I didn't actually realise England had won the World Cup. So there you go. Um, but at the end, and Steen was kind of digging at him all the way through the run. I, I fucking need respect for us, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the game, Kenneth Wollstoneholm, who was there, ran up to Steen and said, we've done it. <laughs> so it showed you the hearts and minds that Celtic were winning at the time. Um, and of course, the other thing they were winning at the time was the Scottish Cup, which they'd done against Aberdeen with Willie Wallace again scoring two. And uh, Willie Wallace, an absolute gentleman, um, I remember actually just thinking back now, reversing a wee bit, he told me a story that I'm in Prague, he said, you know, we're up under a cosh. And he says, uh, I, got a bo- I got the ball about 30 yards out and I thought, fuck it, I'll just shoot. And he shoots and the guy makes an unbelievable save, two hands, top corner. And he's thinking, fucking hell, he says, that, you know, if that went in, that'd have been it, like, you know, that'd have been us in the final. He said, I felt quite chuffed with myself. I came that close. He said, then I turned around big steam shouting at me, Wallace, Wallace, are you going to do that? I do it in the fucking park.
and so it was on to Ducla Prague in the semi-final and um, you know they were absolutely no mugs they defeated Ajax in the quarters and um, I mean Scotland was at fever pitch you know with this kind of stuff um, you know Celtic were, were trying to get players back um, Jimmy Johnson had the flu Bobby Murdoch had an ankle injury and so on but we had Willie Wallace now, who is now eligible to play for the first time. And of course, we're going to score uh, two goals in the semi, which probably repaid the transfer fee right there and then. Um, and there was a big, big feeling um, around Celtic Park that we were now one step for Lisbon, you know. Um, incredible game. The Gallus, Betty Old, Flomax and Dukla Prague, we are free kick that he pretends to place the ball and just slots it to Willie Wallace and boom. And of course this was also around the time where uh, Scotland became world champions uh, by defeating England and Bobby Lennox scored. It was a European Championship game that. A lot of people forget, they think it was a friendly, it was a European Championship game, so brilliant. And uh, Scotland were on top of the world because obviously the Huns had got to the final. Uh, sadly they lost that. Um, I can't really say too much about that, but my old man said that was almost as good as Lisbon. The Lisbon special. Look, I arrived on the planet 30 years after the greatest achievement in sport. A club who only 79 years earlier were founded by immigrants to feed immigrants went on to become the best team in Europe. But like everyone else, I've seen the great Kenneth Holsterdown narrated footage many times. For the football hipsters out there, the stats for the game were incredible. 42 attempts in goal to the mighty Inter Milan's five. For the romanticists, there was a true uniqueness to the game the occasion. Played on a Thursday, a holy day. There was no floodlights in the stadium, so it was played in daylight. The magnificent colour pictures of the green and white hoops glistening in the sun. The green leaf trees and the blue skies in the background. I was at a match around 2015, not long before I got married. I was sitting in the square before the game, listening to Celtic music, you know, all getting pummeled for a match, just looking at, looking at the picture of the Lions. I was all Celtic up, and then it dawned on me, the decision was made. I come home, I said to my fiancé the next day, look, I don't care if you're heavily pregnant or if you're a young baby or whatever circumstances are. On the 25th of May 2017, we're going to be in the Saddle National in Lisbon for the 50th anniversary. So two years later, we booked a package holiday to Alba Fair and brought our six-month-old baby girl with us. I hired a car and drove from Alba Fair up to Lisbon. I was almost peaked selling that week, so it was. There was one of us as the manager. The Tom Rodgick final was two days after the anniversary. And the Sunday before, we had completed an undefeated League, league season I think we're talking game against Hearts we're over at it was a full stadium Lisbon Lions T4 display last home game of the season some of the boys at our club go shorts and sunglasses that day so I had a big orange floral Hawaiian shirt style board shorts on me green and white hoops I was down our big Glasgow like a walk on tricolour it was just a great week so it was all, all Celtic wise driving into Lisbon overlooking the overlooking the bay overlooking all dozens and dozens of cruise ships in the bay with Lesbon's very own version of the Christ Redeemer statue on the hill behind us the stadium itself 
It's a good bit out of the city. It's not built in a residential area like a lot of old grounds are. There is a real uniqueness to it. There's lots of space and greenery around it. It's like parking a car in a forest or a, a company park. Get out of the moor and then you take the almost enchanting walk through the trees and the flowers and the shrubbery to the opening of the bowl, a stadium set into the bosom of the hill, built into a natural amphitheatre. There was already about 500 troops and hoops there, waiting, waiting for the open mid-afternoon. The boys, out selling, boys outside selling CDs and flags, never miss a trick. Not that I'm complaining, I bought two CDs for the four-hour drive home afterwards. But everybody knew they were there for something special. They let us into the, they let us into the stadium. <clears throat> it's a unique shape, no roof. The way it wraps around you is getting to the broad side. The Portuguese Cup final was on that weekend, so we weren't allowed anywhere near the changing rooms or the tunnel. <clears throat> Probably for fears of a mass pits invasion. Everybody bailed in and walked around to the centre of the far stand where the, to where the trophy was presented. I got a photo of me holding the wee girl high above my head, like Simba being held up and the Lion King on the spot where Billy, King Billy held the trophy up high. It was strange. There was about 100 Celtic supporters singing songs in an empty stadium, sitting in the sun. Usually you have something to aim for whenever you're chanting. And then the cyclists arrived. They set off in Celtic Park two weeks earlier. And there was a fella who drove a, a green 1967 helmet up from Celtic Park, although his journey was probably a, a bit quicker than the cyclists. The boys must have felt like absolute heroes lapping the rolling track on the bikes that day with the crowd singing in the background. Lally was very popular that day. She made it onto the news. She was by far the youngest one there at six months old. Dressed appropriately for the occasion. Celtic dress on and sun hat. I it was just a, it was just a truly magical day, so it was a, I hope that I'm fit to go back whenever she's fit and I'm eighty for the hundredth anniversary. And so to the final. Now, in doing this podcast, I thought everybody's heard the footage and seen the footage of the clips and the interviews and the sound bites, and I'm going to not put them in because, you know, you want to bring new stuff to the table um, and all that kind of thing. And But it's the enormity of the achievement that must be spoken about. Now, people have mentioned the 42 shots on target and... You know, Celtic won the European Cup on a Thursday. Only team won the European Cup on a Thursday. Five o'clock because as Gary Bergen said, in the floodlights. What has to be remembered is it was eighty-five degrees um, at the start of the game, which you know, no hassle for in at Milan, but for we Peely Valley Scottish guys, very very uh, tough conditions to play in. This, the enormity of the achievement is absolutely spellbinding and for me it gets bigger the further we get away from it. You know, to win the European Cup, I hope that's not a spoiler for you, but we did win it. And to win four other trophies in that season, making it a five trophy season, is just mind-boggling. And it's important the impact because Celtic, Joe Steen had says he wanted to win it be pure, beautiful, inventive football, you know, which I think at the time people was like, just won it, you know, any any means necessary, but just won it. But no, that wasn't enough for Jokestein, and it was interesting that when the teams come out, that iconic image of just been singing in the tunnel, Helenio Herrera is actually sitting on the Celtic bench, which was a bench, like one of the hinges in the school gymnasium, 
Uh, and Steen, fuck, you get yourself fuck, basically off the Celtic bench, you know, because Steen was an intimidating guy, both, you know, physically and mentally. And he absolutely never stood for for fools, like, you know. But the performance that day was just mind-boggling, you know. I know I've used the phrase a lot, but, you know, to have things like, you know, uh, Ronnie Simpson, the goalkeeper, back heeling the ball past the guy in the European Cup final, you know. It's just absolutely incredible. And so, you know, it was the belief that had to be carried yeah, we've got a goal doing, and I remember in the fiftieth anniversary, standing in Glasgow City Chambers watching the game, and Jim Craig was standing beside me. And when they showed the first goal, which obviously he concedes the penalty, he just turned around to me and says, "Never a penalty, like." <laughs> just was fucking hilarious, like. Eh? But we kept going, we kept going, and Steen had this rule we been mentioned before in very fullbacks that if a fullback was up attacking. The other one stayed back defending. But of course, Tommy Gamble broke that rule because Jim Craig had the ball and just cornered his eyes, seen him and rolled it to him. And then of course, bang, one all, we're back in the game. Um, and I believe to this day, Tommy Gamble says, Steen still gave him abuse for that. He said, but you should never have been there. And that's why Joe Steen was the best manager ever because he never let anything slide. And then, of course, um, with five minutes to go, Stevie Chalmers sticks his foot out and changes the world. And what I love about that commentary, which I cannot hear without welling up, is Kenneth Wilson home saying, and with only five minutes to go, there's absolutely no doubt the European Cup is on its way to Glasgow. And the mould was broken at that point. Because forget being the first Scottish team, the first British team, but they were the first non-Latin team to win the European Cup. It had been dominated by Real Madrid and Benfica with Eusebio and the Milan and all that kind of stuff. And the Milan, then the Milan were gone for their third European Cup then and had actually printed a magazine basically commemorating their third European Cup win before they'd actually won it. <laughs> How did that work out? So it was all over and we'd done it and, you know, my family in that was there. Francie had come back to his house in Clermiston in Edinburgh, my uncle Francie, and his wife, who was heavily pregnant at the time, I think, she, she opened the door and he went, Ina, I love you, and collapsed right in front of the door. Um, I mean, who wouldn't have? Um, but of course, it didn't end there. There was no Super Cup for us. We would have played Bayern Munich, who'd beaten the Huns in the final. Thank you, Gerd Miller. And, but the sort of real Super Cup was against Real Madrid and the Bernabeu a couple of weeks later for the Alfredo de Stefano testimonial. And Steen being Steen, did they play the Lisbon Lions, starting 11, played Fallon in goals because he didn't want Real Madrid to think they could beat the Lisbon Lions. But of course, as we all know, Jinky ran riot and Bobby Lennox scored the winner. And uh, 100,000 Real Madrid fans chanted Ole every time Jinky got the ball. And if that doesn't sum up how good that Celtic team was, then nothing does.
leave you without talking about the legacy let's f- first look at Internazional um, I mentioned earlier they actually produced a magazine that congratulated them on winning their third European Cup before they'd won it now what's interesting is they'd won it in 1964, 1965 then Real Madrid won it in 1966 and then of course Inter did not win it in 1967 and actually did not win it again until 2010 under Jose Mourinho. So it shows you, you know, you never count your chickens. Um, Celtic, well, what was interesting, if not utterly devastating, was we actually went out in the first round, preliminary round, uh, the following season to Dynamo Kiev, where I think a couple of factors took place then. One was overconfidence, definitely. Um, we drew with them over there and got beat at Celtic Park. And the other one was there was a bigger focus on the World Club Championship against Racing Club of Argentina at the time gone on. So 
We reached the quarterfinals the following year in by Milan. Uh, we reached, of course, the final the year after that, where we lost to Feyenoord. And you may see, hear, and read a lot more about that from us. Um, so we'll no digress on that one. Uh, we reached the semi finals against Inter Milan in 1972, where uh, Dixie Deans famously missed the penalty. And we reached the semi-finals in nineteen seventy-four against Atletico Madrid, where we were basically kicked off the park and only got our kind of retribution in the tunnel after the games. Um, and I've often wondered because we were a far better team than Atletico Madrid. You know, we had kind of moved away from the Lisbon Lions era into the Quality Street Gang, and guys like Douglas and McGrain and and all that were supplementing the existing lines like Lennox and Johnston that were still there. Um, and I've often wondered what would have happened had we won that European Cup you know if we'd got to the final and won it what would have happened because um, would it have opened the gates to a new era you know where players would have stayed like Davy Hay and all that kind of stuff because of these kind of things um, because it was then you know became a bit of a fallow era where obviously um it was the last season of the consecutive championships. We then lost Jokestein for a bit because uh, he had a car crash, a very bad car crash. And um, Billy McNeil had said in 1970, or sorry, about 1970, that you know we never quite reached the heights of Lisbon after we lost in Milan to Feyenoord. But there were... Uh, other chances to win it. I mean, uh, we would have played Ajax in 72 if we went through and we would have played Bayern Munich in 74 had we went through. So, there's it's a lot of ifs and buts and kind of sliding door moments and that sort of stuff. But, realistically, we did not compete in Europe again until Martin O'Neill um, came along. And even then, it was, you know, hustle and bustle of Champions League but ultimately no real success and then of course the UEFA Cup final but it's interesting you just wonder if proper reinvestment had been made in the team because it's difficult to see where else it was made with all the money that Celtic made and it was you know an absolute fortune it certainly didn't go into the stadium really apart from the odd roof here and there Um and, you know, there was no big transfers into Celtic. We, in my opinion, had the two best players in the 1970s in British football, Danny McGrain and Kenny Dalglish. Um, and, of course, we ended up offering Jokestein a job with the Celtic Pools. So you wonder just if maybe things had been different, who knows where we could have been and what would have happened had we won three or four European Cups in that era, would we still even be in Scottish football now? Would that have propelled us? I don't know. But the legacy that the Lisbon Lions done is absolutely paramount because it still resonates with every Celtic supporter in the world. And when you can make that kind of impact and still have it spoken about, you know, 56 years later as if it was just a day, then you know you've done something right.